When President Qais Sayyid sacked the prime minister and suspended parliament in July, for many Tunisians, it was the right move. It is really a rescue operation because all Tunisians have seen how much the economic and social situation has deteriorated under government policies that have been in place for years. They have not met the people's expectations. That's why the time has come for change. But others called it a coup, and the question did linger. Was this a step off the road to democracy, or would it make that democracy stronger? Now Tunisia's heading toward forming a new government, and it's got a new prime minister, the first woman in the Arab world to hold the job. But there have been other moves, too, moves that are consolidating power in Saeed's hands. With an economy in dire straits and the government still on hold, it's time to take the pulse of Tunisia's democracy. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Today, we're talking with Bernard Smith, Al Jazeera's correspondent who's been covering Tunisia. So politicians last week should have been back in parliament for the first day after the summer recess. And they found the doors blocked. So tell me about that scene. So there were rumors before this day that a few politicians might try and go into parliament. It was always going to be a show, I guess, because it's been suspended and the building is surrounded by fencing and some barbed wire and police. And on the day that Parliament was supposed to open, they increased policing. There was a very visible police presence all the way around it. So in the end, just two lawmakers tried to go to work, as they said, to physically go into Parliament, and they didn't get very far. I came here and found all the doors closed. I want to say either there is a Parliament which is open for us to work, or it should be dissolved and we will have new elections. They were stopped before they got in by the police. There were more press there than politicians, of course. It was covered by all of the Tunisian press and there was clamouring around these politicians, microphones asking them what was going on. And of course, they got the message home that they elected MPs, but the president had suspended parliament and they were not allowed to get on and do their work. In the meantime, the new prime minister, Najla Boudin, came onto the scene. The newly appointed prime minister of Tunisia, Najla Boudin, has been selected by President Kais Saeed nine weeks after he sacked her predecessor and assumed executive authority. The president appointed her on September 29th. I have decided to task you to form a new government. And this is the first time in the history of Tunisia to have a woman at the head of the government. And much like him, she's coming in as an outsider, but even more so. Well, she, as far as we know, is known by Kai Saeed's wife. She is a professor of geophysics. She's been implementing projects of the World Bank, but she has no political experience at all. While her appointment has been welcomed as the first woman prime minister, she really is not going to have much power because she serves at his pleasure, essentially. So she's been appointed by him to appoint a government 
to try and get things moving along. But constitutionally, this is all not legal. We'll get back to the legalities in a minute. But first, a bit more about Sayed. People describe him as a sort of a man set in his ways. He's a a former constitutional law professor. And he is the one who is making all the rules and making all the decisions. The big complaint about him has been in these last two months that he isn't listening, that he's not engaging with civil society, with all the other political groups who he dismisses them anyway. He says, I am the one who's going to appoint a committee to amend the constitution to make it work better for Tunisians. And at the moment, he's got Tunisians backing, it seems, a majority of them. He's viewed really as a man of integrity. He is very popular because he drinks coffee in the ordinary man's coffee shops. He talks to the ordinary man or woman on the street. So many people see it, see what he did as a necessary way to really push back against a corrupt political process and corruption in general. Sayed's background teaching constitutional law puts him in a unique position to be making such changes. It also means you can find former students of his across Tunisia's civil society, political groups, and the media. One of them is journalist Rabab Aloui. He is very well known as uh, he always uh, teaches the first class in uh, law university in Tunis. If you studied law in Tunis, you will know him. I still remember the first day I, uh, I met him because he has this incredible voice and this Arabic uh, accent. Because he speaks all the time the formal Arabic. You need to know that Tunisian dialect is so different from the formal Arabic. So whatever you ask him in the class or after the class, he always answers in formal Arabic. So I felt that it was like a TV host. As for Najla Boudin, the new prime minister, Rabab said she was happy to have a woman in power. But the situation so far had left her a bit skeptical because Budin hasn't spoken publicly since she was appointed. Can you imagine that we saw her in four meetings with the president, Qais Saied, and we couldn't hear her voice because in these four uh, meetings, the president always speaks and we couldn't hear even her voice. So you can understand why I'm afraid that she might be just an an image. We really need to know a a roadmap for the next uh, government. What measures she will take? Until now, we don't know anything. In every meeting with the president, it's just him talking all the time. But part of the reason why we might only hear from the president is because, as Bernard says, the prime minister's position has become much weaker. And that's because on September 22nd, before appointing Budin, Sayed made another move. He announced he would suspend most of the constitution and instead rule by decree. She really is not going to have much power because ordinarily, in the system that Tunisia adopted after the Arab Spring, president appoints a prime minister who appoints a cabinet and that is approved by parliament. But because Kai Said has suspended the constitution, suspended parliament and he's ruling by decree, she is going to have to run everything by him. And because she has no political experience, because she has no 
connections to any political parties. That, of course, appeals to Kai Saeed. He doesn't want anybody he views as being tainted by the party system. But she will be totally reliant on his patronage. So everything she does in terms of building a, a cabinet, appointing ministers, it's going to go through him. She is the first woman prime minister, but she's the first woman prime minister who's also a prime minister who's not democratically accountable, <laughs> not democratically appointed, and doesn't have much power beyond what the, the president wants her to do. And what about the opposition? Have they managed to organize themselves against this consolidation of power? We've seen uh, some opposition parties came together and said, we need the president to talk. There's no other way they're saying, unless you agree to talk to us. Now, they're not particularly threatening much if he doesn't talk at the moment, apart from peacefully protesting. So all the opposition parties, and this was one of the reasons the president suspended parliament, were bitterly divided amongst each other. So that some of them came together is a suggestion that opposition is hardening, and all of them say, at least talk. So the infighting and perhaps the lack of a clear line from the opposition could be why the biggest protest so far seems to have been pro-Said on October 3rd. In the capital Tunis, the pro-Said crowd exited that which gathered a week earlier to oppose him. They took to the streets to show their backing for his suspension of parliament and promises to change the political system. What did your team find at that protest? What was it like? I have to say that first of all, Kai Said exaggerated considerably the support he got at that protest. I think he said there were a million people out on the streets across Tunisia for him. There weren't. The official account, even from the police, was about 8,000 That's That's quite a difference. Wow. Yes, that's quite a difference. But still, even then, it was several thousands of people protesting for him. And there were protests not just in Tunis, but in other towns and cities. But the people there were saying... Because he's so respected and, and he was popularly elected, we've had enough of the political parties. There's real anger towards the political parties. And so that's what people are saying. Leave him, give him time. We still support him. Rebab was at that protest reporting, and she ran into former students of Sayed's who echoed that message. They said that uh, they trust President Kai Said uh, because he was charismatic and a good professor. So uh, for them, he would be loyal to the people because he don't belong to uh, any political party. And they said that they are sick of the system. They are sick of the parliament. That's why right now they are trusting because they saw him as a hero today to make the future of Tunisia better. One of the reasons that Tunisians are willing to give the president time, as Rabab and Bernard have mentioned, is the economy. Tunisia descended into an economic crisis exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. These crowds are furious about poverty and unemployment, as well as the state's chaotic response to COVID-19. Two months on from suspending parliament, there is yet to be a plan from Kais Saeed. Yes, he's talking about the constitution and amending the constitution and appointing a committee to do that. And he says this is his plan, but that will take many, many months. There is an urgent need to fix the economy. Tunisia has got left in its central bank about $200 million, according to the treasury. It needs a billion and a half dollars a month to pay wages and repay debts. So it's about to run out of money. So the urgency is that the 
a newly appointed prime minister has now to form a government and that government needs to go to the International Monetary Fund, find some sort of a deal for a bailout of Tunisia's economy. Because if the treasury runs out of cash, then the money that disappeared from there, Kai Saeed's popularity could evaporate just as quickly. Last year, I know that you made a visit to Sidi Bouzid, which is the hometown of Mohamed Bouazizi, the street vendor who set himself on fire in 2010 and ultimately set Tunisia on the path that it's on today. And you said that the locals there think things are worse now than they were 10 years ago. So can you tell us about that visit and what it says about Tunisia's economy? Well, that was a very depressing scene in Sidi Bouzid because it was clear that 10 years on from the Arab Spring, 10 years on from that horrific sacrifice, nothing had changed. It is worse. Why should I celebrate? I didn't get anything from the revolution in the last 10 years. What is there to celebrate? Maybe life was better before. Youth unemployment is much higher than it was 10 years ago. There is nothing for young people to do. There is no hope and little aspiration. It's why many, of course, try and make that really, really dangerous journey across the Mediterranean to get to Europe looking for work because there's no hope. And so there was a real widespread despondency with the democratic experiment that they've had in Tunisia. If you remember the Arab Spring, there was so much hope that things would change for the better, not just democratically, but economically. But on his visit last year, Bernard didn't see any of that. There was just nothing there. There was no hope and there was just desperation and anger and frustration. And from that, I can see why six months later there was so much support and remained support for Kais Saeed's decision to sweep away for the moment Tunisia's democracy and try and amend the constitution while ruling by decree. He says... He is not a dictator. He's no ambitions to cling on to power and he will change the constitution with a committee for the better. From your wide ranging experience being, of course, a foreign correspondent for so many years, do dictators ever really announce their intent to become a dictator and hold on to power? You're right. No, they don't. (laughs) They always say from where I've seen this this happen, yes, I'm doing this for the good of the people. We will have elections soon. We need it to change. The previous guy, it's usually a guy, was corrupt. And yes, we've heard all of these arguments before. I haven't seen somebody with the respect that Kai Saeed seems to engender. He really does genuinely seem very widely respected. Again, it's because people are so fed up and they're really clinging on to some sort of hope that there's some way of improving things. Tunisians, by and large, it seems, from pretty reliable polling, still want to give him that chance. There is still a critical press operating in Tunisia, generally, so you can still read critical articles and the opposition is free to speak out. So there's not been that crackdown that you have seen in other countries. There is that risk, of course, yes, as there have been in other countries, that once the man, again, it's always a man, who sees his power, begins to enjoy the trappings of the power, they find it very hard 
to give it up. But it's not fair for me to compare Kai Said with other presidents or uh, prime ministers in this region who've gone down this path. If Tunisians want to give him more time, then give him more time. For Rabab, although a crackdown hasn't happened, she still wants more proof that Tunisians' rights and their sacrifices will be protected. But she is willing to give it time. The constitution is so important for Tunisians. When they took the street in December 2010, they called for employment, dignity, and the law that guarantees these demands. And I think this is the role of the constitution. The constitution of 2014 came after years of struggle, negotiations, after so many efforts. So I can understand people who are against the amendment of the constitutions today because this is the fruit of the revolutions and it was a historic moment for every Tunisian. I don't believe that saying that I won't touch the freedoms etc is enough. No, we really need guarantees, we really need laws. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Dina Kispe, Ruby Zaman, Priyanka Tilbe, Ney Alvarez, Amy Walters, Nagin Oliai, and me, Malika Bilal. Tom Finton is our editor. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Steve Lack mixed this episode. Aya El-Milek is our engagement producer, and Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back.